Welcome to Auburn Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, ETSU's Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Uh, a while back, I got a message uh, via social media. Somebody slid into the DMs and asked a question. Uh, it's about 5FU. Uh, and that caused me to go back, and I was going through PubMed. I, had, I was searching like fluorouracil bolus, and I was going back through, like, at the very, uh, all the way back at the beginning of fluorouracil's time on PubMed, and was looking for something specific. But came across a, a study of bolus versus infusional doxorbicin that I found really, um, I guess the word I'm, I'm looking for is validating of something I was taught, and then something that I taught others. Um, without uh, verifying the primary literature ever. But it's something that, at this point, was just conventional knowledge, and is. Uh, and I came across this, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I tweeted that out. And it, it, a lot of people liked it. Uh, they did the heart like on, on Twitter. So I was like, okay, this seems like a good idea for a podcast. So this is, uh, I, you know, I, I guess we'll call this a Landmarks and Onco Farm series. And this is from uh, some researchers at MD Anderson published in the journal Cancer, in 1999, decreased cardiac toxicity of doxorubicin administered by continuous IV infusion and combination chemo for metastatic breast cancer. Now, 1999, long time ago, right? More than 30 years ago, this was published, and these folks were actually uh, accrued much earlier than 99. This this was actually first presented uh, as a study at ASCO's annual meeting uh, in May of 83. I was four months old when this was first presented. Uh, it was then. Uh, wasn't accepted for publication uh, for five years and then came out the following year. Things took a lot longer to get published before you would uh, go to uh, the online submission portal. So let's go to 1999 when this was published. Just to give you an idea of the times, uh, here, here were the top five grossing films of 1999. Batman with Michael Keaton. It's always been comic book movies. Uh, the next one, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, my favorite of the Indiana Jones films. Uh, Lethal Weapon 2, it's always been sequels too. Uh, and it's always been sequels of comic book movies now. Uh, number four, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, uh, a movie that is basically one long dad joke before dad joke was a thing. And five, Rain Man, a movie that brought autism spectrum disorders to the mainstream. Uh, other notable films that year, uh, that I like, uh, Field of Dreams. Uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, holiday classic, Major League, uh, which I'll argue is also a kind of a baseball movie, uh, like Field Dreams. Um, oh, it is. Oh, and The Naked Gun. That's the one I would argue is kind of a baseball movie there at the end. Okay, so that's where we were in 1999, all right? Let's also start with the very first sentence of this study in 19, or this, this paper in 1999. And I'm quoting here, Doxorubicin is the most effective single agent in the treatment of breast cancer. That's what was the thinking in 99. This was, you know, tamoxifen, uh, anastrozole, trastuzumab would like a word doctor, but certainly a very active drug here, all right? So the, the premise of this study, and this is how MD Anderson seems to do things, having no inside experience, but when you read their publications, they don't do a lot of randomized studies, it looks like. They had, there was a lot of single-center studies where we did this for a year, and then we did this for a year, and they were different, we compared it. That's what they do here. So they're giving these women and two men uh, with metastatic breast cancer, they're giving them FAC, which is 5-FU, doxorubicin, and cyclophosphamide. They're giving it bolus to like 150 or so patients, um, 140-some patients, and they're giving it as a continuous infusion over two or three days to about 140 patients. And they're looking at how, you know, the results here, right? 
That's essentially uh, the study. So they're not randomized, and it, it works out that the, uh, the patient demographics uh, are pretty consistent uh, between the two. So just briefly through the methods, won't go into a ton of detail here. 5-FU is 500 per meter squared per day uh, for five days on days one through five. Bolus, uh, doxorubicin was 50 milligrams per meter squared, either bolus over five to 15 minutes if you're in the bolus uh, cohort, not bolus arm, but cohort, right? These weren't randomized, or over 96 hours or 48 hours. So 50 milligrams lower than the 60 milligrams per meter squared would be given AC. And then cyclophosphamide is 500 milligrams per meter squared on day one uh, IV. Again, lower than the 600 milligrams per meter squared would be given in the AC regimen. Uh, if you're on the infusional fac, you had to have a, a central venous catheter placed in. 21 day cycles, hold parameters, white count uh, below 3,000. Uh, AGC, acute granulocyte count, again, those are all neutrophils, uh, below 1,500, platelets below 100. Interestingly, you don't see this a lot in solid tumor studies. We're used to it in dosage just our epoch. There's some Volfox studies like this. If, um, if the acute granulocyte count never got below 2,000 and the lowest platelet was greater than 100, there was a 20% escalation in the, the chemotherapy doses, interestingly. Uh, uh, let's see, doxorubicin was reduced 50%. The billy was between 1 and 3. Uh, there are some lymphoma studies suggesting now we don't need to dose-reduce doxorubicin for high bilirubin. Uh, notably, the RCHOP versus dose adjust our EPOC trial uh, published a couple years ago uh, that showed no improvement in diffuse surgery based lymphoma with dose adjust our EPOC. They did not dose adjust for bilirubin for doxorubicin all the way up to a billy of 8, citing uh, data on file, which I would love for them to publish, which seemed like a really big deal that they haven't published that in NIH. Uh, okay, so... If you were on the bolus arm, once you got to 450 milligrams per meter squared of the anthracycline, which would be nine cycles, you stopped FAC, all right? After nine cycles, you stopped, okay? If you were in the infusion arm, you could continue, and that was the plan, you would continue receiving uh, FAC with infusional uh, anthracycline. Uh, the bolus arm, they actually could go above 450 cumulative lifetime dose of doxorubicin if the physician thought it was in their best interest. Now. Above 450 in the infusion arm, they did an extensive cardiac evaluation, so EKG, uh, echocardiogram, that sort of thing. Uh, and then once they got to 600, they actually did uh, endomyocardial biopsies, and they did that every other. They did that after uh, they did another EKG after every other cycle, and another biopsy after every four cycles. Once you went above 450 milligrams per squared. So if you are someone uh, new to oncology, you're probably very familiar with doxorubicin's cardiotoxicity. It's a cardiomyopathy. It's a heart failure. Okay, and you're probably familiar that you don't go above 400. Okay, or 450, or maybe 550. You're, you know, it, you probably think of it as maybe black and white dichotomous. You don't, and you know, I might be a little shocked to hear that they're going above 600 milligrams per square and even higher. All right, but that's only in the infusion arm here, of uh, fact. Now, once you got to above uh, that that lifetime limit of doxorubicin in the bolus arm, once you got to 450 in the bolus, that was switched to methotrexate, uh, the old CMF regimen. So I won't go through, won't go through all that. Okay. So July of 79 to March of 82 is when these folks were enrolled. Uh, about 135 per arm. Median age was 55. Uh, folks all the way down from age 24 and 32. There's one male in each arm. Uh, again, so this was, the, this was the early 80s when these folks were enrolled on this study. Here's, uh, let's see, a, 
maybe 25% were ER positive, 25% were ER negative, and you're like, that doesn't have to 100%. In about 50%, we did not know, which means they did not test for it, which means we didn't know to test for it back then. Which means some of these folks are triple positive, some of these folks are triple negative, and, uh, and we, don't, we don't know, that's, that's where we were. Um, let's see, half these folks had visceral disease, so that's a different level of severity of metastatic breast cancer than bone-only disease, so uh, that was about 35% of patients had bone-only uh, sites of METs, or bone-predominant sites of METs, I should say. 85% um, were ECOG 0, 1, or 2, which means there are about 14%, 15% who are ECOG 3 or 4 enrolled on this, which is often the inclusion criteria is ECOG 3 or 4. So fairly real world, uh, certainly there are folks who are ECOG 3 and 4. Don't typically give them combination chemo for metastatic breast cancer. Certainly in today's world, that's probably not something that we're doing. Um, first thing that we're looking at is efficacy, right? So you know, doxorubicin primarily has three mechanisms of action, intercalation of DNA, free radical production, and topoisomerase 2 inhibition we think is the most important. That's a cell cycle specific action, so you would think the longer the infusion, the more efficacious. Response rates are the same, 22, 20% complete response rate, impressive complete response rate, probably mostly triple negative patients. Uh, then 56 and 61% had a partial response. There's also something called minor response here. So this is before resist criteria, pre resist. Uh, duration of response doesn't seem to be anything. Maybe the duration of complete response is longer than those on infusion. There's a trend, but they also continued their anthracycline longer because they didn't have to stop the anthracycline at 450 like they did in the bolus arm. So here's the meat of this study and why it's important uh, and is an Oncopharm landmark trial. Toxicity is different based on how it's given by administration method. The bolus uh, doxorubicin has more nausea and vomiting the infusional doxorubicin had more stomatitis to the point that they, they even dose-reduced that. And what they figured out is if you're having severe mucositis on FAC, could be the 5-FU, but if you decrease the infusion of the doxorubicin from 96 to 48 to even 24 hours, you decrease the risk of grade 3 and 4 uh, mucositis, which they did. Okay, so they're getting, and they're really pushing high doses here, all right? So so 27% of patients on the infusional arm actually got to a cumulative lifetime dose of up to 600 milligrams per meter squared. Another 16% got to between 600 and 800, 11% above 800, and 9% above 1,000 milligrams per meter squared. So all in all, on the infusion anthracycline arm, which was a two-day or three-day infusion, 63% um, went well above that kind of stoplight yellow of 450 milligrams per meter squared. And that's the big take-home point of this study. If you look at the Kaplan-Meier curve of the time to uh, time to developing heart failure, which by the way, uh, 11 patients or 8.3% developed heart failure in the bolus arm, even not going above 450 milligrams per meter squared for the most part, a few did, uh, versus 4.25% or six out of uh, 141 in the infusional arm developed heart failure, okay? So when you look at this, the, the, and again, these are low numbers, 130, 140 in each arm, respectively, about. If you look at the inflection point, let me set the stage for you. You're looking, put your, your, uh, your left hand up, make an L. Your thumb is the, uh, the x-axis, and that's cumulative lifetime dose of doxorubicin in milligrams per meter squared, okay? Um, and then your finger pointing straight up is the percentage of people with heart failure, 
and that line is going to go parallel to your thumb, and then eventually it's going to start to turn and go straight up and, and become parallel to your finger. Where it starts to turn up, that's the inflection point, using a mathematical term. That inflection point in the bolus is right at 400 milligrams per meter squared, which is where I say that's our yellow light, where we need to use caution if you're going any higher than that with traditional doses of anthracycline. The inflection point for the infusion arm is not at 400, it's not at 500, it's right at 600 milligrams per meter squared is when it starts to go up. And that's, uh, I think, one of the key takeaways here from the authors is, quote, for most patients with metastatic breast cancer, doxorubicin can be optimally can be used optimally by infusion schedule with neg negligible cardiac toxicity if cumulative doses do not exceed 600 milligrams per meter squared. So their their argument here is the, the lifetime dose is 600 if you give it over a two or three day infusion. Now, that is with 50 milligrams per meter squared, not 60, which is how we would typically use our anthracycline here in the States with the AC regimen, uh, but does certainly lend credence uh, and is is great evidence of what we uh, what we you know what we teach and preach in oncology is that if you're worried about cardiac toxicity and you're using an anthracycline, giving it over a longer infusion is going to decrease the concentration at any given time inside the cardiac myocytes, and that should decrease the risk of, of heart failure, which is which is um, uh, suggested strongly by this by this landmark study. Um, so, you know, there have been times, uh, for example, on round, just to give this uh, a clinical perspective where um, the discussion of RCHOP versus dose-adjusted EPOC for someone who uh, is not proven they're going to benefit from dose-adjusted EPOC. What I can say is that dose-adjusted EPOC is going to have less cardiotoxicity uh, than, than CHOP. Uh, not just because you're starting with a lower cumulative dose per cycle of doxorubicin, but you're also giving it over a four-day infusion versus a bolus infusion like you do for CHOP. Um, so that is that is the landmark study and, and set a new standard on the podcast. If a 30-year-old study gets 30 likes on Twitter, we're going we're gonna to do a whole podcast about it. Uh, thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at PharmDeetNib, and you can follow both the podcast uh, on, on both uh, um, Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. Uh, thank you again for listening, and uh, remember, doses matter.